Listening to the Locked On Broncos podcast, hosted by Cody Rourke, your daily Broncos podcast. Can Noah Fant become a top five tight end in the National Football League? The data seems to suggest that there is a high potential that he could, but how can the Broncos help him get there? Plus, Broncos OTAs continue this week on Tuesday and Wednesday, leading up to mandatory mini camp leading us into training camp next month. And Broncos fans in our Monday mailbag are curious about special teams play. We break it down on today's brand new episode, Locked On Broncos, your daily Denver Broncos podcast here on the Locked On NFL Network, your team every day from the South Stands to the End Zone. I'm your host as always, Cody Rourke, Senior NFL Analyst at Pro Football Network and Broncos Analyst for the Locked On NFL Network. You can follow me on Twitter at Cody Rourke NFL. Follow the podcast at Locked On Broncos. Like us on Facebook and make sure that you follow and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and the Odyssey app. Not to mention, you get Lockdown Broncos Monday through Sunday here on the YouTube channel at Lockdown Broncos. We're close to 4,000 subscribers. So if you would hit that subscribe button, turn the notifications on, like the video, comment, and engage with me in the comment section down below, it would mean the world to me. But Broncos Country, today's episode of the show is brought to you by our good friends over there, rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts that your car will ever need rockauto.com. We got a lot to break down, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you had an amazing weekend. Welcome back into the show. Starting things off, you know, we had a conversation on Friday on Broncos Country tonight. I jumped on with Ryan Edwards and Benjamin Albright to talk about Noah Fant because he met with the media last week. We got a lot of insight into his journey, how he's dealing with some adversity in his life and just the strength that he's gotten from his teammates, but, you know, his expectations maybe on how he could be utilized here in 2021. In comparison, when we talk about data, there is potential that Noah Fant entering his third year, maybe even entering year number four next year, he has a chance to become a top five tight end in the NFL. However, the Broncos are going to have to make some changes along the way philosophically with how they use him in order for him to get there. So let's dive into some of the numbers here. In 2020, Noah Fant, he had 93 targets. He had 62 catches on 93 targets. He missed some action, obviously, the New York Jets game. He left midway through that with an ankle injury, missed the New England Patriots game. Uh, He had 673 yards, but on the 62 catches that he had, he did have five drops last season. In comparison to his rookie season, he had five drops there as well. So he's going to have to clean up some of those drops. I didn't feel like the drops were too much of an issue for him in 2020 in comparison to his rookie season where every move that he made was under the microscope because there was a certain section of Broncos fans that felt like he was a bust and that they didn't like that the Broncos traded back to get him rather than taking a linebacker. But, that, you know, that's another conversation for another day. Out of Noah fans, 62 catches, 34 of his catches were for first downs, right? So 54% of his catches that he had last year, they moved the chains. That's good. But that number's a little misleading here because the average depth of target, this is all according to pro football reference, a great utilization too for data as it pertains to how players are utilized. No offense, average depth of target. So this is how far the ball travels in the air before he catches it in terms of taking shots downfield was 6.7 yards. That's not very much, right? You need 10 yards to get a first down in the NFL, or just in football in general. But Denver, the average depth of target for him was thrown at about 6.7 yards down the field. That's not good enough if you're going to have a sustainable, um, efficient playmaker at the tight end position. You have to amplify that, especially when we compare it to Travis Kelsey. This tells us that he needs to be utilized more vertically. I mean, you could stretch the field on deep over routes, crossing patterns, vertical seams. Denver has to do more of that with Fant. You don't have to just line him up as an inline tight end. 
You can line him up in the slot. You can line him up on the outside. Get him in some one-on-one situations. His biggest play for the Broncos last year was a 37-yard reception down the left sideline, Kansas City, Sunday night football. One-on-one matchup with a cornerback against cover one. The Broncos have to do that more. They have to put him in situations where he's going to have those mismatch opportunities. We haven't seen Denver do it enough. So that is an issue right there. However, there is some interesting parts of this data too. We talk about the 6.7 yards average depth of target. Well, after Noah Fant gets the ball in his hands, he accumulates an on average 6.1 yards after reception. That's great. Yards after the catch. That's efficient football right there. Now, could you imagine if the Broncos were to test that a little bit more? Imagine if Noah Fant could get to about maybe 8.2, 8.3 average depth of target when he catches the ball and then if he has 6.7 yards or 6.1 yards after he catches it and being able to run because he's a big guy he's hard to bring down the Broncos offense is going to be in a good position folks I'm telling you no offense going to be in that conversation to be a top tight end but the issue here when you look at the data points is that his utilization rate in the Broncos offense is low in comparison to the top tight end in the NFL which is Travis Kelsey based on his yearly he had last year the Broncos only played no offense in 68 percent of their offensive snaps in 2020 that is not close to being enough. In comparison, when we look at Travis Kelsey, he was utilizing 82% of Kansas City's offensive reps. Now, in comparison, in terms of data, we went over Noah Fant, catches, average depth to target. Let's go over Kelsey's here. Kelsey's average depth to target was at about 8.5 yards. So he was getting down the field at about 8.5 yards before the ball was thrown to him. That's how long it would travel because we see with Travis Kelsey against zone, against man, he uses his size to box out, and he also finds the ability to sit in the soft spots of the zone defense, catch it, and then do damage after the play. That's why Travis Kelsey had 1,400 yards receiving, and not to mention he had more targets. He was targeted last year 145 times through the air, and he had 105 catches. Out of those 105 catches, he only had two drops last year. That is efficient. So Noah Fant can clean up the, the drops. That can be an evident thing there, but the Broncos need to utilize him more. If, if Noah's being utilized 68% and Kelsey's being utilized 82%, there is a problem, especially when Cortland Sutton was down for the Broncos last year. How come Denver didn't utilize Noah Fant even more? And, and not to mention, yes, quarterback play is a factor there. It's very underrated. We got to talk about it because the, the changing of the realm of quarterbacks was there. But Noah Fant, when, when quarterbacks would target Noah Fant, they had an 89.5 quarterback rating when going to Noah Fant. So how come he's not being utilized even more? It's a big mystery, Broncos country. I'm eager for your thoughts. Uh, let me know in the comment section down below what you believe about Noah Fant, where he can evolve to become a top tight end. Maybe what the Broncos could do a little bit more of. But coming up here in just a moment, we're going to get into our conversation regarding Broncos OTA, some storylines from last week, some drama, some quarterback controversy in terms of social media. We're going to go through everything. But also it's leading us to mandatory minicamp. Broncos are really close to training camp next month, July 27th. We'll break down all the action. But before we do that, folks, I have to tell you about the sponsor of today's episode of the show. That's a good friends over there at Credit Karma. And Credit Karma has always been there to help you make better financial decisions. And now they want to help even more. With a Credit Karma money spend account, you can be rewarded for good money habits. Credit Karma Money is a brand new checking account where you can win cash reimbursements for making purchases. And when you use Credit Karma Money debit card, you can win a daily instant karma purchase reimbursements on items up to $5,000. Just pay with your debit card. And if you win, you'll be notified on the spot and your instant karma cash will be added back to your spend account. Credit Karma Money has already given away over $3 million in instant karma to over 50,000 Credit Karma members and counting. So open your FDIC insured spend account for free. There's no minimum balance requirements, no overdraft fees, and free withdrawals from a network of over 50,000 ATMs. Credit Karma Money progress starts here. Right now, visit creditkarma.com slash winmoney to open your free account and start 
winning instant karma today. Go to creditkarma.com slash win money to sign up for free and start winning instant karma. That's creditkarma.com slash win money. Instant karma is sponsored by Credit Karma. No purchase necessary. Exclusions and terms apply. See rules. Banking services provided by MVB Bank Incorporated. Member FDIC. Maximum balance and transfer limits apply. Broncos OTAs continue this week, starting tomorrow and Wednesday, and then the team will return on Friday as the team goes through the Phase 3 portion leading up to mandatory minicamp next week. That's when everybody is required to be at the team facility. Some updates. Shelby Harris on his latest podcast episode, Shell Shocked with Brennan Cristal on KOA, had something removed inside of his skin. I can't remember exactly what it was called, but if you watch Dr. Pimple Popper, it's one of those growths. So they got it out. They removed it. He should be good to go. I imagine we may see him make an appearance tomorrow. Not sure if he's going to do too much, but maybe be at the team facility. Uh, Shelby's looking forward to getting back on the field as well. He's going to be a big part of the, what the Broncos want to do. Mike Purcell, as we know, still recovering from that offseason surgery that he had. Well, not offseason, but in season. He had the hardware removed during the offseason, so he will more than likely be back for the mandatory part as well not necessarily needing to go in before it's necessary, right? The mandatory part versus the voluntary part is still something that many people, many fans are frustrated about when they see a certain player has not been there. Kyle Fuller will be back next week for the Broncos as the team gets into the mandatory part of camp. And, you know, I think that some people are wondering, how come he isn't there building chemistry with his teammates, new teammates? Yes, he knows the system very well. What Vic Fangio's terminology is, there's some carryover. Obviously, he played under Pagano the last year, the last couple of years since Vic's been the head coach in Denver. So the terminology is a little different. When you have to learn a new scheme like you learned with Pagano's system, it, you know, there may be some carryover in terms of what he learned from Vic, but you're going to have to get acclimated because things change and coaches adapt. Their terminology changes based on the team that they're at. So the terminology that Vic may be used in Chicago may have different key phrases in Denver. And we heard from Ronald Darby last week who met with the media who said that he's really getting up to speed on the Broncos defense with Vic. And he says that really for him, because he's played in two new systems. He played in the new system in Washington last year, obviously going to be playing in a new system in Denver this upcoming season. He said for him, you know, there, there's a little bit of a learning period, but for him, once he gets a terminology down pat, he's going to be ready to go. He's going to be able to plug and play there. He talked about Justin Simmons, Kareem Jackson. He talked about Michael Ojemudi, how quick reacting he is, how well Michael Ojemudi has le learned the defense and how he's helped him. So, for Darby, a veteran player, it's hard to imagine that Denver's going to find themselves in situations where some cornerback is not going to play for them this season. They're going to rotate guys in. I know we focused on that last week. We talked with George Stoya of the Gazette. We had an in-depth conversation about the Broncos' DB depth. I, you know, While the belief is that Patrick Sertan will start, Darby, Fuller, Callahan, Ojemudi, all of these players are going to play. Uh, we'll see about a saying Bassey as well as he comes off of ACL, but for the Broncos, these are the storylines right now out of OTAs. Players are just getting acclimated. New players getting acclimated with the new Broncos culture, the way of doing things, receivers learning things, cornerbacks learning the terminology, and just getting to know your teammates. You know, players are bonding very well in this system. Now, I'd be remiss as well if we didn't talk about the drama of OTAs. Quarterbacks, right? The Broncos, they're throwing some highlights together on the social media feed. There was an interception last week where Justin Simmons intercepted a pass, and the quarterback that threw the interception was Drew Locke. It was a complete Twitter meltdown. Folks, And please, can, can I just say here on the podcast, can we not get to the point of the offseason or even once we get to training camp where every play is micro-analyzed to the nature that this play was? Yes, Drew Locke threw an interception in seven-on-seven. Seven. Folks, it's seven-on-seven. Seven. 
Okay, it's a glorified offensive drill. It's a, it's a coverage drill for the defensive backs. And yes, there's going to be interceptions. But to act like, even during the regular season, it doesn't get reported because it's not really something that people report on. You're not allowed to. But quarterbacks throw interceptions all the time. Tom Brady throws interceptions in practice. Patrick Mahomes does it. But when it's Drew Locke, when it's Teddy Bridgewater, when it's any of the Broncos quarterbacks, it is going to be put under the microscope so much. And there was a complete meltdown. So let's let's please avoid that, Broncos country. Because once training camp happens, we're going to see the first team defense versus the first team offense and vice versa. We're going to see all these quarterbacks rotating through. And yes, we are going to keep note of who throws interceptions, who throws touchdowns. But at the end of the day, each interception is not going to be the end of the world. Okay, You'd rather throw interceptions in practice. You'd rather your quarterbacks make those mistakes in practice and go out on Sundays and play clean football. That is part of the process. I can tell you this, being somebody who in my playing days, there was times where I threw the ball as a receiver. We called the play pass-pass, and it's where I run a bubble, a, sm- a bubble screen. Quarterback throws it to me, the wide receiver on the outside. He stock blocks for 1-1001, gives the, DB- the impression that he's going to block, releases, and then I throw it. I threw an interception to the damn safety, folks, and I didn't have anybody tweeting about me. Oh, yeah, this guy intercepted. Trust me, they never let me throw that play ever again. But I've thrown an interception in practice. I wish it was magnified under that magnitude that it was there. I've also intercepted quarterbacks in practice over my playing career. Nobody made a big deal out of it, right? Because on Friday nights or on Saturdays, we were expected to go out there and perform. And making those mistakes in practice, seeing what we did wrong, going back and watching a film and saying, hey, where could I have gone instead of this direction? Was it a good play by the DB? Was it a bad throw? We don't know any of this in terms of Drew Locke's interception at practice, but the fact that we have to talk about it, I'm not going to spend too much time on it. But I I promise you here on the Lockdown Broncos podcast, we are not going to be spending so much time picking apart the angle, the blade of grass in which the quarterback threw an interception. We're talking about the entire football team. And, And look, this is an exciting unit that the Broncos have on paper. We talk about potential. It's about carrying that over. The coaching staff has a lot of confidence right now in the players. Players have confidence in the coaches. But this is a big year for the Broncos. So why should Broncos fans, why should you as fans spend so much time really just over-invested in the outcome of quarterback, which, yes, I, I get it's the most important position. It needs to be better. Nobody's saying that's not the case. But the, this team is exciting as well, the rest of the football team. So we're going to focus on every angle besides quarterback. I know everybody else, every podcast, every blog, they're just focusing on quarterback. It's part of it. But it's not going to be the sole focus here, Lockdown Broncos. But, you know, it, it's just funny we get to that point there. But in terms of of seven-on-seven, seven, folks, there is nothing to, to analyze about that. Vic Fangio had said it as well in his introductory press conference to start OTAs. Seven-on-seven, seven, phase three, there's not, there's not going to be anything that a quarterback does. He could throw five picks in a row. It's not going to impact the quarterback competition that's going to lead throughout training camp once they get into the team period, 11-on-11, 11 11, and full-on contact into the preseason. That's where the job is going to be decided is there. It's not going to be decided in OTAs during voluntary camp practice. So we'll keep our focus on where it needs to be. But Broncos country coming up here in just a moment. We're going to get into our Broncos mailbag Monday. We have users send in their questions to Cody at CodyRourkeNFL.com. If you want to be featured in Monday mailbag, you're just going to send me an email for your Monday mailbag questions. Tell me what your name is, where you're from, and we'll feature it here. We're going to get to that coming up here in just a moment. But before we do that, folks, I have to tell you about the other sponsor of today's episode, Lockdown Broncos. That's our good friends over there at Built Bar. And Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar on the market. It is my go-to every single day in comparison to other protein bars that say they have the best taste. That's not the case. Built Bar is legitimately the best tasting protein bar on the market because the bars, they are covered in 100% chocolate and they are soft and easy to chew. They have nine delicious flavors, including the occasional limited time flavor. My personal favorite, peanut butter brownie. I've had several listeners of Lockdown Broncos 
message me and tell me how much they love the box that they got. You could get a mixed box as well to get every single flavor to see which flavor you love best. Not only are Built Bars tasty, but they're also healthy for you as well. They contain 17 grams of protein, only 130 calories, and only 4 grams of sugar, folks. That is efficient. And for me, I, I work out every single day, and so sometimes I don't eat breakfast. I'm guilty of doing that, so sometimes I take a bite into Built Bar. I go work out. I get a little bit of extra energy, but I also get the taste of something very delicious. It's like I'm eating dessert for breakfast or at the midday part of the afternoon. So I want you to try Built Bar today by going to BuiltBar.com. Using promo code LOCKED15 is going to get you 15% off your next order. Once again, that's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off your next order of Built Bar, BuiltBar.com. And as we get into the fourth quarter action of today's episode, Lockdown Broncos, we're getting into our Mailbag Monday. Once again, if you ever want to send in a question for Mailbag Monday, send me an email to Cody at CodyWorkNFL.com. Ask me your question. Tell me your name and where you're from. We're going to start things off here from Jeff from Broomfield. And he says, that would you say that Max Duffy, the Broncos' newest signing at punter, would be an upgrade over Sam Martin, both financially and physically. I think financially, Jeff, yes, because he's a younger player. You can get him out of bargain. Sam Martin's been in the league. He has 10 years, so he's going to cost a little bit more. The Broncos have two more years on his contract. Now, in terms of physically, I think it's a big risk, right? Because Max Duffy, according to many University of Kentucky fans that I speak to, he's a weapon. He has the ability to be a really damn good player. But the question that I have, and this is where I'm skeptical, this is why I think that it's important that you have competition in training camp, and you need to see it in preseason games, though, because we know the roster cut-down dates. The first one from 90, I believe, to 85 is after the first preseason game, and then it just goes on and dwindles on from second game to third game. You have to see what both of these guys can do. So in preseason, you alternate who's punting first, who's punting second, uh, and then maybe the next game, whoever had the hot hand that first game gets to start off as the punter. Both players are good directional punters, which is why Sam Martin was a pretty good fit in Tom McMahon's scheme. I touched on it on last week's episode, Lockdown Broncos, after we were talking about the Duffy signing, where Sam Martin, he's the guy that can directional punt it to the sideline, to the right side, to the left side. You don't see too much of it in the middle of the field. Now, for Duffy, physically, he does have, in my opinion, I feel like a really big leg right now. Maybe that's because he's younger and he comes from that background playing the Australian football down there, but the question that I have is, do you risk going younger and cheaper and maybe compromise performance? Special teams has been killer for Denver. Denver has struggled in terms of the punter realm for the last couple of years. Sam Martin made that better significantly. Sam Martin was a massive upgrade over what the Broncos have had since Britton Colquitt. So that tells you how long it's been since the Broncos have had a really good punter. They didn't really give Marquette King any time to develop and, and actually do what he can do best because he was forced to change his technique to punt to the left sideline or to the right sideline. We know that Marquette King could boom it. He never really got the chance to do it, had the injury, the change of technique really impacted things, and uh, it created some issues. So uh, for Max Duffy, if he can come into camp and he can really challenge and push Sam Martin, then yes, I would say that maybe he'd be an upgrade. But as of right now, it's a big question mark because you risk losing that experience of a really good punter versus a guy who's young and inexperienced. That, to me, I think is a, is a tough decision to make if you're a general manager. But, Jeff, thank you for your question. Katie from Salt Lake City, Utah says, what are your thoughts on whether or not players should show up for OTAs? You know, Katie, I was touching on this a little bit last week, but for OTAs, voluntary uh, team activities, organized team activities, the voluntary part is completely that, voluntary. Phase one, we know, is you can show up to the team facility, you can work out, there's no football terminology, there's no working with coaches. Phase two, it changes. You can work with coaches at a teaching pace. 
Uh, and it's good to be around your teammates. Now, for me personally, if I was an NFL athlete, I would be at OTAs. That's just my personal preference. However, I don't have any beef or disagreement with players that decide not to show up for OTAs because it is voluntary. And, you know, they have advisement based on their agents, their agents, the NFLPA, the union telling them that, hey, you know, during this situation, maybe you don't show up for this. You don't have to, but if you want to, you can. And I think that the nature and the pressure that we've really seen with OTAs and, and the optics of it, Katie, is that we've seen these players get hurt away from the team facility and it encourages people even more like, hey, if I'm going to work out, I need to go do it at the team facility. That way, if I do get hurt, I'm covered, I'm protected, my money is secure. And I think that's really just kind of the strong tactic that the NFL and the NFLPA have in terms of the CBA as it pertains to players and, and where they go. To be honest with you, I think most players would prefer to work out at the team facility if it weren't for some of these pressures faced by the NFL and the NFLPA. If they knew that they were secure away from the facility and also at the facility, we would see probably more buy-in. Now, obviously, COVID has been a big thing that's kind of thrown a little bit of a wrench into the plans of people really wanting to be there. It really depends on who's vaccinated, who's not. And the NFL, they're incentivizing players that are getting vaccinated. And so we'll see how things open up. But you know, I, I feel indifferent to it. You know, it's nice to see players there, especially veteran players. It's nice to get them back. Von Miller's been there, so that says a lot about where he is at. Workout bonuses have a lot to do with it. But either way, if a player doesn't show up or if they show up, it's not going to make me change my perspective on it because I can see it from both sides. If I was a player, I'd be there. But I do see why players would not be there as well because it is completely voluntary. But there's different motives. Different strokes for different folks. But thank you for your question, Katie. We're going to Will from Eugene, Oregon. Hey, Eugene, Oregon. I'm going to be there this summer. Will, if, you are, uh, if, if you're free, let me, let me take you out. Let's get a cup of coffee. We'll talk even more, man. I appreciate that. He says, big fan of the show, Cody. Thanks for all of your interaction. Do you believe that the change in offensive philosophy in the NFL today benefits younger coaches or veteran coaches more? I think it, it depends on the context, Will. When we talk about these young offensive minds like the Sean McVay, Sean McVay, I mean, he's young in terms of stature, what you see in coaches, but, you know, he's not like the young guy. He's not like the 24, 25-year-old young guy that has all these different philosophies on throwing the football 50 times a game. I, I do think that when we compare how the NFL is today, we've seen it spread out to more of the spread game. Not too many inline tight ends at the college level now. So a lot of these offenses in the NFL, they're becoming more college style, more pro ready. And you're seeing this expansion on going empty three by one and where you have three receivers to one side, one on the other um, going empty to where you may have three receivers to one side or four receivers to one side, one or two on the other side and just going all passing and out. And, and I think it goes back to that Kansas City Chiefs game versus the L.A. Rams. It was that 54 to 48 shootout that the Rams had won a few years ago. People like those games because it's entertaining, but I can tell you this as a defensive-minded guy, as a head coach, it would drive me absolute bat crazy, man, because I, I, I like those games where it's 10-3, 10-7, defensive games where your defense is shutting them down. It's very rare we see that in the NFL today. It's super rare because there's so many talented players at the skill player position. In terms of offensive philosophy, it's really about how can we attack every, every blade of grass. And when you play zone coverage, there's soft spots depending on what type of coverage you're playing. Where offensive coordinators and smart offensive coordinators at that, if you have a good quarterback and you have good personnel, you know how to exploit that. You know how to attack that. That's why we see Kansas City so successful. They have a really good offensive-minded head coach. He's not a young guy. He's a veteran guy. He's been around the game, and so he understands how to adapt what he can do philosophy-wise to the personnel around him. 
Now, in terms of the young guys, everyone wants the younger offensive-minded head coach, but it doesn't always work out in terms of productivity and success. There are so many different outliers, team around you, environment. Now, for veteran coaches, too, you know, I, I, maybe Andy Reid is the exception here, but a lot of old-school coaches, guys who've been coaching in, uh, coordinating offenses for quite some time, they are so stuck in their ways sometimes that they don't evolve to the natural times. They don't evolve to the talent and the personnel around them. A lot of times back probably in the 2000s, it was – you know, the players need to adapt their abilities to our scheme, not like the coaches adapting the scheme to their players. It was the expectation that players were supposed to do whatever the scheme asked them. And there was no blend. There was no mesh there. Now I think it's, it's equal. You see a, a compromise of what your personnel can do by coaches based on the talent that you have. And you also have players who are buying into the scheme, into the culture. That is a big difference maker there. But um, I, I do think that it benefits everybody. You know, I think for if you're Vic Fangio, a very, very experienced defensive coordinator, you're going against a young offensive mind. You have that experience on how to adjust quickly. You can see what they're doing, make the adjustment, whereas that offensive coordinator may not understand how to adjust to your defense. So I'd say that's a benefit of having Vic being a veteran defensive minded guy. But we'll Great question, my friend. Our final one here on today's episode of Lockdown Broncos Mailbag Monday. John in Denver says, who has the most pressure to perform in 2021? Vic Fangio or Pat Shermer? John, this is a great question. And I've been I've been thinking about this a lot because when I look at the Broncos, I look at George Payton, I look at the offseason, I, I see the moves that he's done to put a very strong defensive nucleus around for Vic Fangio to utilize. It gives me more and more confidence that Vic Fangio will be back after 2021. And if anybody goes, let's say the offense continues to struggle, I don't personally believe that Vic Fangio will be on the chopping block. I believe it's going to be Pat Shermer. I believe Pat Shermer would be on the chopping block more so than you would see Vic. If Vic's defense is playing really dang well, you're not going to scrap that. You're not going to rob Paul to pay Peter. Yes, Vic is the head coach. Winning games is, it ultimately does fall on his responsibility, but He's in charge of saying, giving suggestions to the offensive coordinator. During a game, let's say it's third and four, he'll come up and he'll have the feedback. He'll talk to Pat Sherman. He'll say, hey, they're doing this defensively. We need to figure out how to adjust to it. Or this play's not working. This formation's not working. We need to try something different. He gives that suggestion to the offensive coordinator. It's the offensive coordinator's job to carry it over, make those necessary changes, or to get the offense to play better. It's not all on Vic. Vic leads the whole team. Yes, part of that does fall under him in terms of that because the offensive coordinator answers to you as the head coach. But that's where things get muddy. That's where the water gets muddy because you see so many people talking about fire Vic Fangio. But the reality is if the offense isn't performing and the offense is becoming too predictable, that's not Vic Fangio. That's the offensive coordinator. So Pat Shermer, this is a big year for him. I feel like Pat Shermer has more pressure on him for the offense to succeed, to take the next step, more so than the quarterback position has. Whether it's Drew Locke or Teddy Bridgewater or somebody else, the pressure's on Pat Shermer, in my opinion. If the offense struggles this year, we could see the Broncos make a change maybe in season or maybe next season. A lot of it depends on the trajectory of where this team goes, but I think that Vic, I have a strong feeling if the Broncos struggle this year, I think Vic will be back in 2022. So we'll have to see how things play out. But John, thank you for your question. in Broncos country, thank you for tuning in to today's episode, Lockdown Broncos, your daily podcast on the Denver Broncos, covering the team that you root for on Sundays. We bring you an objective point of view on everything. And the ultimate goal for me is to provide you my reaction, my analysis based on my background as a player, as a coach, as someone who's been in a football administrative position, to be able to look at all the angles of what's going on with the team 
That way you can look at the data. You can study the film. We can watch film together. And then you can go to work on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, wherever, or on Sundays. You can be the smartest person in your offense because you know the game. We try to bring the game to you, the fans. We try to break it down to where you understand everything from the complex nature of it to much more. We try to do that here on Lockdown Broncos. But Broncos country, that'll do it for today's episode of the show. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll be back tomorrow for Twitter Tuesday. We're going to be talking about who will be the breakout player for the Broncos this upcoming season. It applies to the offense, defense, and special teams. You can let me know on Twitter at Cody or Canfail or in the comment section down below. Make sure you like, comment, and engage with me in this comment section on YouTube. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button on your favorite podcast provider. But with that said, I'm Cody Ward, host of Lockdown Broncos. We'll see you tomorrow for a brand new episode of the show.